Hello, hello. I was just thinking, actually, it just feels like such a wee treat being able to speak while seeing all of your faces because over the last wee while, out of necessity, I've been speaking into a camera, but this is so much better. Love this. This is great. So as you know, um, I think my husband's done half my sermon there. Um, I'm going to be talking to you this morning about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And I just want to say up front, this is tricky stuff. This is hard stuff. And it's actually really difficult to get our heads around. So what are we talking about? Well, Chris kind of outlined a little bit. We're talking about the fact that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has ultimately won. So the enemy, darkness and sin um, has been defeated, which is brilliant, isn't it? But yet here we are finding ourselves living in a world with a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of sin. It is still very, very present. And this is something that is often referred to in Christian circles as a tension that really we have to learn how to live with in, I guess, a healthy way. So just as I start off this morning, I want to read something to you, which um, I think really helps capture something um, of what we're talking about. Jesus wept. The Messiah sat down and had a cry. The Christ bawled his eyes out. Sounds irreverent. And yet John's gospel records it in black and white in chapter 11. Jesus wept. Knowing that the story he was writing had a happy ending, he wept. Why? Because his buddy had died. And because Mary and Martha were sad and disappointed and disillusioned. Jesus, if only you had arrived earlier, our brother Lazarus, he would still be here. And his tears made it okay for us to cry. It's a broken, busted up old world, he reminds us. There will be tears for sure, but the story doesn't end in tears. So take heart. I have overcome. I have written your story. And the ending is good beyond your wildest dreams. Jesus wept. And then he called Lazarus back to life. So we can cry the tears, feel it all, and then wait as Jesus calls us back to life. This was written by Julie Timlin, who's part of our Emmanuel Lurgan church family. And I just love the, the fact that it's wrapped up in a promise of hope. And I'm really confident that Every one of us can relate to those words that I read in some way. As our tears flow, as we experience sadness and disappointment and disillusionment, we all at different times will cry and have cried out, Jesus, if only you had, that would never have happened. And you can fill in your own blank there. But here's the thing. My story and your story, it doesn't end in tears. And that just fills me today with so much hope. Strength and perspective to keep going as I lift my eyes from my own struggles and my own 
um, really difficult, painful, challenging circumstances. And I am no different to you guys. I have plenty of those um, along with the good times in my own life. But the risen Jesus is speaking over me. The ending is good, Debbie. Beyond your wildest dreams. And the thing is, and I've been talking to our kids about this. If Jesus says that, I know that I can trust him because if that's what he promises and if that's what he says, then I know that that's the truth. No matter what the world's presenting, no matter what the narrative is trying to overwhelm me, my Jesus is the voice that I'm going to listen to. And so at the very beginning, I want to take a couple of minutes um, just so that we are all clear and have confidence around the biblical truths that really help us really believe that Jesus has the victory. And then I'm going to look at the parable of the weeds, um, which is sometimes called the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, as a bit of a focus for this morning. So Jesus, um, in the Old Testament, is referred to as the Messiah or the Deliverer. So that's the one that Israeli, Israelites were waiting for, the promised king who would one day defeat evil and restore humanity to the Eden ideal. And in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we can read about the Garden of Eden where everything was really pretty much perfect. And in many ways, they were right in terms of their expectations, but they weren't accurate in terms of the way all this was going to play out. And we find this man, Isaiah, who prophesies or foretells about the coming of this Messiah King and how he would actually, actually ultimately be put to death on a cross. But Isaiah then thankfully details how he'll come back one day, making all things right. And as we've been looking at over the last wee while, the kingdom of heaven is the loving rule and reign of God on this earth. And going back to that Garden of Eden, it was beautifully played out there. Um, but the enemy and sin entered and everything changed. But God had a rescue plan, which culminated in him sending his son Jesus to the earth as that tiny baby we sing about in our Christmas carols. You may get practicing because we're coming to that time very soon again. Um, and this baby grew into a boy, he grew into a man, and here we have the one who will fulfill these ancient promises and prophecies of Isaiah. And as Jesus starts announcing the good news, that the kingdom of God is here now, um, he started to demonstrate this in the things that he did. He confronted the effects of evil by healing and forgiving sins. And in fact, that was the very heart and the core of Jesus' message. And his ministry culminates in his arrest and ultimately his death on the cross for each one of us, paying the price for our sin and restoring relationship between the father and his sons and his daughters. And at the point of Jesus' crucifixion, it really does seem like game over, like the enemy has actually won. But here comes the game changer. Jesus rises from the dead and now he has the power um, over evil and death for himself. And the even more mind-blowing part of all of this is the revelation through the rest of the New Testament that this power is actually available to us. And Brona spoke a few weeks ago about the fact that we now have an authority as God's children to confront the effects of evil 
um, not just in our own lives, but in the, the lives of, of others around us. And despite all this, we're still surrounded by darkness and death, and it's really hard. And this is the point where we go to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, to read about the future day when Jesus will come back, destroying the devil once and for all and restoring God's um, created order and purposes. And remember, the ending is good. When times are really tough for you, the ending is good beyond our wildest dreams. And that is a promise. So hopefully that has helped you um, understand uh, a little bit more if you weren't quite sure how all of the jigsaw puzzles fit together. But there's, this, there's basically this tension. That's what we're coming back to time and time again. And I think that there are a few verses. I can give you the references for these if you want to a bit later. Um, but to me, they reflect this tension as well. So Romans talks about how I have died to sin and yet, I find that sin still lives within me. And Ephesians speaks of how, although I already have every spiritual blessing in Christ, yet I need to keep being filled with the Spirit. And on one hand, we read how we're already seated with Christ as a spiritual reality, and yet the physical reality of our lives doesn't always reflect it. It's now... And not yet. And this brought to mind um, a, a really amazing moment in my life where I had the privilege of being with a friend of mine who um, had basically been in a car accident and as a result she had a number of dislocated vertebrae in her back and her mobility was terrible. So um, at one point uh, Jesus broke in and miraculously healed her is the only way I can put it so you know she couldn't stand upright and I, I physically watched as her her spine straightened before my eyes it was absolutely incredible but the thing is that that same girl actually had a heart condition and the heart condition wasn't healed so on one hand you're thinking that's amazing and on the other hand you're thinking but why why did God not heal both at the same time and you know the answer is I have absolutely no idea so how can we honor the not yet while striving for the now the seemingly unanswered prayers at times the sickness and the suffering and the death we find ourselves rejoicing when somebody receives a miracle like my friend and um, but we grieve while we see another person succumbing to an illness and I have loads of examples of that over the years and I'm sure that you guys have as well and sometimes as much as we earnestly pray over somebody and into a situation we don't always see what we want to see this side of heaven and uh, I have permission from Ian um, who goes here just to share this with you Yesterday, I stood at the graveside of my lovely friend, Jim Morton, who went to be with Jesus just a number of weeks ago. And we had prayed with and over Jim over many, many years. And I think we all just would have loved more time with her. And as I stood there at the graveside, I really just felt this verse come into my head. No eye has seen and no ear has heard 
and no mind has ever conceived the glorious things that God has prepared for everyone who has believed. And there's just such life and there's such hope in that, you know. And I was just like, Jude, I will be with you again someday. I will see you again someday. And that's the reality that she's experiencing right now. But you know what? We really miss her. Now, I'd mentioned the parable of the weeds earlier, so we're going to have a wee look at that. Um, So a parable is basically a short story that Jesus would tell in order to give some sort of a framework for a moral or spiritual lesson he was trying to communicate. So we can read about this one in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30. My first century Jews, they lived in a farming culture and um, Jesus loved to use familiar context. So that's why you come across farmers and sheep and lots of uh, these parables and when Jesus is communicating. So let's have a little look at this one together. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Now, in Jesus' day, it wasn't actually unusual for one farmer to sabotage another. In other words, to try to destroy or damage something deliberately to affect its success. Now, here's a bit of a botany lesson for you from the woman who has absolutely no botanical knowledge whatsoever. Uh, My Google friend comes in very handy at times. So there's a good chance that that these weeds that we are talking about were called the bearded darnel. So apparently this weed basically mimics wheat in lots of ways. It's very hard to tell um, as they're growing one from the other. And here is a picture, I think, Johnny, have you got that wee picture for me? As my husband would say, for all us visual learners, before creating words, what was your word you created? You don't remember now? Mustn't have been a very good word. Terra trans something, something, whatever. Okay. Um, It was so good, he can't even remember what it is. All right. So, where are we? Yep, so it's only with, it's only with maturity that uh, you can actually start to tell the weeds from the wheat, okay, because it becomes really obvious in the fruit that's produced. So, Um, Darnel is poisonous, so it certainly was not something that a farmer wanted mixed in with his wheat crop, Um, especially as the roots can actually intertwine with the wheat, which is all a bit of a disaster. So we see here how the well-meaning servants, they're rightly concerned, and they want to try to uproot and get rid of the darnel. But the farmer is stressing that some perfectly good wheat might mistakenly be thrown out in the process. So they're instructed to leave the separation to the train harvesters who know their stuff. And then Jesus actually went on to um, tell a few other parables. But interestingly, the disciples weren't happy just to park this. And it says that Jesus had left the crowd and gone inside the house. Um, but the, they actually went 
and they sought him out to get some clarity around this. And when we're struggling to understand or to get peace around a situation, let's never be afraid to seek Jesus out, to go to him with our questions and to invite his understanding and lordship. You see, they were experiencing this tension too, even though they had the Son of God physically in their midst. Sickness, darkness, conflict was all around them, and they were trying to figure all of this out as well. What exactly was Jesus there to do, and what effect would his presence have on their current reality? And yes, we know that Jesus healed many, but there were many when Jesus was on this earth who were not healed. Not everybody who needed it um, received that. And in the background, let's not forget that there was this really uncomfortable tension um, as well, mounting by those who were intent on getting rid of this Jesus man and all his kingdom of heaven stuff that he was talking about. So let's have a wee look at Matthew 13, verses 37 to 43. This is Jesus' response. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find that a really hard read. Because right now, there are lots of people who I know and love, who as far as I can tell, we never know exactly, but I, I'm not too sure that they are in the people of the kingdom category. And that just makes me so grateful and so thankful that we serve a merciful God who gives time for people to come to him um, acknowledging his lordship. So I want to bring out really quickly four things here. Number one, the field represents the world. It's not our world, it's God's world. He's in charge and he knows what he's doing. He spreads his seed, his believers in the field of the world. Number two, it wasn't the servant's job to sort out the weeds. They're called instead to focus on the planting of the good seed and overseeing the maturity of that. And sometimes it's our human nature to want to judge, but there's just no room for that here. What if man were in charge and perceived at some stage that we needed uprooted? Maybe in a season of life where things aren't going too well, where we are not doing the best job of reflecting our Christianity and producing good fruit. And we're all too aware of our own weaknesses, aren't we? The sinfulness in our own souls. And yet Jesus gracefully allows us time and maturity to grow into his likeness. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, depart from me, you who acted wickedly. It's Matthew 7, verse 22. 
And remember, man looks to the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. That's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Number three, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? There's almost like a little bit of blaming God for the presence of evil here. And I think that we can all be guilty of this at times, questioning God around why things are the way they are in a situation. And number four, let's be really aware. Satan's tactics are really subtle. The weeds initially resemble wheat, and we really need heavenly wisdom and discernment to decipher where and when the enemy masquerades as an angel of light. So really this parable that we're looking at this morning, it illustrates how evil, as a bit of an umbrella term, is allowed to coexist with good. And although this was no different in Jesus' time, there wasn't resignation around this. Rather, Jesus, at the very start of his ministry, um, he declared the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's even before he died for our sin, defeating the enemy and his rule and reign, um, as it had been since the fall. And just to re-emphasize the completely mind-blowing part, the disciples were trained to do the very same thing. And that's our mission today as well. I really believe with all my heart that we are called as a church to pray for healing, to pray for peace for those who are bound by depression and fear, could look like all sorts of things for God's kingdom to come in every sphere of society, regardless of the work of the enemy. And in fact, the more darkness there is, the more determined we should be to bring his light and his hope and his freedom. And we opened these doors on Friday for Connect Cafe for the very first time. And it was just such testimony to people coming in who the enemy has tried to steal and kill and destroy and there's a sadness and there's a hopelessness resting upon them. And more than ever, you know, we are being called to show God's love, you know, to speak hope, to speak life, um, to bring his king, kingdom to earth as Jesus brings these people um, before us. I have a wee quote here um, by Rachel Held Evans. The kingdom Jesus taught is right here, present yet hidden, imminent yet transcendent. It is at hand among us and beyond us, now and not yet. The kingdom of heaven, he said, belongs to the poor, the meek, the peacemakers, the merciful, and those who hunger and thirst for God. It advances not through power and might, but through missions of mercy, kindness, and humility. And there's a balance as we do all of this as well, because we actually see in the Bible that in the New Testament that Paul takes 29 chapters across two letters to spell out to the Corinthians this whole now and not yet nature of the kingdom. Because in Corinth, the first century Christians were operating in an all-now manner, believing that heaven was completely their present reality in all of its fullness. And this mindset can be really destructive because it can lead to disappointment and it can lead to absolute disillusionment. 
um, on a massive scale. And of course, the other side of the coin is that we go into this kind of self preservation mode against all the darkness um, clinging on to grace until Jesus takes us to heaven and there's no room here for expectation or hope of God's kingdom breaking in and changing anything eschatology I'm going to read another wee quote so I'm just going to tell you what eschatology is because it's mentioned in it is a term used to describe the study of what the scriptures say about the end times so listen to this one. This is Timothy Keller, quote. God's kingdom is present in its beginnings, but still future in its fullness. This guards us from an underrealized eschatology, expecting no change now, and an overrealized eschatology, expecting all change now. In this stage, we embrace the reality that while we are not yet what we will be, we are also no longer what we used to be. I just want to read that last wee bit because I love it. In this stage, we embrace the reality that while we are not yet what we will be, we are also no longer what we used to be. And in my own life, I do my best to approach life um, and my faith with the belief that my friend's back healing story will not be the last that I see this side of heaven. So I'm pretty determined to press in and to keep praying for healing for people, for God's rule and reign where I see darkness at work. And you don't need to look too far to find that. Yet I get, I don't necessarily like, but I have to accept that there are simply some things this side of heaven that I won't understand. And in the midst of this, I do my best to stand on the truth that God is always good. God is all-powerful regardless, and it's him that we trust and serve. And there's a verse in the Bible which speaks of just that, how we, for now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 10 in case you want to look it up. So, we're nearly on. Oh. Okay, I'm nearly done because I want to take just a wee two minutes um, for some ministry here. So, can we put up that picture, Johnny, of our bearded Darnell again? Um, would be great. So, we talk about how the differences become more apparent with maturity. And a really interesting thing to note here is that the head um, or the, the weed stays upright with maturity, which to me is reflective of the arrogance of evil, whereas the wheat actually buys with maturity. And that just made me think um, that, you know, we with maturity buy before the one that we worship, trusting in his lordship and that he knows what he is doing. And we hold on to the day when all things will be made new and every tear wiped away from the face of the brokenhearted. But not to the extent that we are completely distracted, taking our eyes off the here and now and inviting the kingdom of God to break into the present. So I guess this is about committing ourselves now to do God's will 
um, living according to the laws of the kingdom, helping to proclaim God's message of hope, which is so needed in this world. Dallas Willard summarizes, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. In other words, heaven's values are the ones that we should be trying to live out now. You're the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The now of the kingdom affects every dimension. Um, Clara, could you pop up just for, there you are. So what I would love us to do, um, kind of aware of time here, but I'll keep this as short as I can, but I feel it's really important. Um, could I ask you guys to stand? And I just really sense that the Holy Spirit wants to, to do some work this morning in terms of where you're at with all of this stuff. If you feel weary and that you maybe haven't much fight left in you, bring that to Jesus for him to strengthen you. And if you've maybe given up or stepped back in terms of pressing into God's kingdom because of, of situations that have led to you feeling disappointed and disillusioned, maybe prayers that haven't been answered the way you'd hoped for, bring that to Jesus. And for those who have faithfully been praying for family and friends to become people of the kingdom, lift them up to Jesus in this moment with renewed hope and a confidence in him breaking into their lives. He's heard your prayers. And if you have been injected with almost a new hope and a sense of excitement that the kingdom of God is very present in the midst of our struggles, then that's, that's great. And if you want to give of yourselves to be part of that in your own life and the lives of others, Here's a really good opportunity to offer yourself to Jesus afresh, maybe even for the first time. So I just encourage you, just take a moment or two just to, to speak to Jesus, to give him your heart, to tell him where you're at with all of this stuff.